So I want to talk about this issue of uh, juggling life's responsibilities and surprises. And, you know, one of the things that following Jesus does is it invites us to become students of life. The way of Jesus is a learning way. It means that we sign on for a life of growth. We sign on for a life of learning. It, it really is, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people stop reading after they, they leave school. And uh, the data tells us that. But one of the things that we're sort of compelled to do as we begin to follow Jesus with some degree, honestly, with any degree of sincerity, is we're signing on to continue to grow in both our understanding of life through his perspective, yes, but in general. And also, we, become, we were basically saying we're supposed to become a student of our own life. To, as Frederick Buechner, the, the, one of my favorite authors, wrote, we need to learn how to listen to our lives better. We are all at some level writers. We are writing our own story. We are all at some level, whether we have a degree or not, <laughs> architects. We are the architects of our life. Now, it's true. There's a lot of things in life that we don't control. No question about it. If we did, obviously, there'd be a lot of things we would play out different. Some of those things that happen that we can't control have tremendous uh, impact on us. They are things that sometimes are modestly difficult. Sometimes they're easy to move through, but other times they're devastating. And we can't control a lot of that. But what we can control is the way we respond to things and we can control our attitudes, and we can control the way in which we prioritize our life, and we can control, at least in a significant way, the way in which we utilize our time, specifically what we might call our free time, which is kind of a misnomer if you think about it, because no time is really free or any different than any other time. We all know that we have a limited amount of it in this life, and it goes by fast. But. When we think of free time, I think I know what everybody means by that. They mean, they're talking about our uncommitted time. So it's that time that's sort of have available to us. We, can, we have a lot more flexibility on how we're going to utilize it. I want to talk about that because Benjamin Franklin said that, you know, time is the stuff that life is made out of. And it's true. And if that is true, which I believe it is, then we need to periodically reflect on how we are organizing our life. And obviously, one of the ways to do that is when we come to the Lord's house. It's going to, we, we try to do that a lot, like challenge one another on how we are constructing our life. We need to periodically assess how we're doing. Now, again, um, you know, if we don't do that, we will drift into things. We will naturally drift into things. And the most of the things that we will drift into are not life-giving. And so some of the questions, for example, is our, is our life aligned with what we say is the most important thing to us or the most important things? Are we aligning our life with our core values and beliefs? So that's a great question, right? We might say we believe something. We might say God is the most important thing and loving him is most important and loving others is the second most important thing we can ever do. And, you know, we're not defined by what we possess and it's, we're not defined by how we look. And we might say certain things, but how we are actually living, you know, how we are living it out and, and what's really showing up, that is the real truth teller. So how we construct our lives matters. So are we, have we fallen into bad habits? Are we, are we um, getting addicted to unhealthy things, right? We live in a highly addictive culture. I mean, it's never, there's never been a time like this where there's been so many things so quickly accessible to us 
in ways that would have been considered, and you've heard me say this before, like science fiction just 50 years ago. And yet, those same advancements have a, a scorpion's tail on them. I mean, they can sting us bad. And they not only can do damage to us, they can hurt us in terms of how we are actually living life. I mean, if we're not careful, we can get sort of stuck in places. So are we, we need to ask those questions. How are we doing in this, this kind of life that we're living? Are we stuck in ruts of our own creation? Have we, have we got ourselves kind of into habits, but they're not even great habits for us? You know, have we lost some of our enthusiasm? Have, have, we, have we been struggling with apathy? Like, ah, you know, what, uh, you know, are we discouraged? Are we depressed? Are we, okay, I'm saying this because a lot of times we're tired. And tired people, when we're tired, we can do reckless things. This is the thing. Some of us are working really, really hard. Some of us are under a tremendous amount of emotional duress. Some of you out there are having to try to juggle home life and professional life, and honestly, you've got barely anything left in the tank. In those places, we're particularly in jeopardy. Why? Because the more tired we are, the more relentless life is, the more prone we are to just sort of disconnecting in unhealthy ways that are not replenishing. The Bible is very much, you know, in favor of replenishment. That's why God created a Sabbath for his people, Israel. He created Sabbath not so that, that they could just be, you know, either you keep the Sabbath or you'll be judged. No. He, he, he set that in place as a seven day, seventh day rhythm for them so that they would be reminded that they are not to be defined by their work, but more by their relationship with God. It was designed to bring them life, not, not to hinder it, but to give it, as all the commandments are. I know people see the Ten Commandments like, oh, yeah, and by the way, I'm sort of going off right now in a certain direction. But I will say this, that all the commandments are not meant to be life-constricting. They're actually meant to be life-giving. Now, I say, so we're very tired. We can, be ti we can become tired. And when we're tired, we, do, we can do foolish things. And so I understand that. And I'm, by the way, and the reason I need to say that is because I don't want to come across as sounding sort of like anti-stuff. But I will say that a lot of things that we engage in, you know, it can sometimes be counterproductive for us. Um, not everything, obviously. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff we can do, right? That's very replenishing. I mean, think about the outdoors. Outdoors is one of those, and we live in such a beautiful city. Uh, there's so much access to, to beauty. Uh, we're right on the edge of the, the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. We've got the bay. It's I mean, there's great parks inside the city. A lot, some of you are into hiking, urban hiking, day hiking, you know. We're only a few hours away from one of the most beautiful places in the entire earth. I'm biased, but I'll say it. Yosemite is amazing. It's like a cathedral that God built. And uh, I love it. And I'm saying is we're, we're, so, we're so close to so much beauty. And it's good for our soul to be rejuvenated in the natural world. It's good for us to periodically take a walk, to disconnect, but not with something in our ears. Just a walk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Sports. I mean, come on. What's there not to like about the Warriors? Everybody's a Warriors fan these days. How's Curry's ankle, by the way? I think it's okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, when you see beautiful artistry, even when it's athletically done, it, and then the character is pretty good too. It's, that's an, okay. 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Entertainment, another one, <laughs> entertainment, another one of those areas where we sort of replenish ourselves, right? And by the way, you know, whether we're talking about what movies we watch, again, a lot of this is what we, we put into our free time. Movies, shows, uh, music, um, games, fun apps, things that occupy our time. And so I say all that because a lot of that's, that's fine, it's good, it's, it's no problem. But, but sometimes some of that entertainment stuff is actually, we got to watch that, okay? Because a lot of that is just like a disconnect. And honestly, some of it is, is not just even a waste of time. And I realize it can be a diversion. I get that. Amusement is like having a muse. But some things are actually unhealthy for us at a spiritual level. We might say we want to really follow Christ and we're, we're why am I struggling with this? Because you know, a lot of times it has to do, listen, with what we're putting in. Because here's the deal. Input shows up as output. So if we want, sometimes we're saying, why am I not being, why, why am I struggling with this? Because periodically it's actually helpful for us to take an honest look. I'm talking about now, again, I am making a statement that's based around the idea that if we're sincere about following the Lord, and living a, a, a growing life with God with, that has a vibrancy to it, that is able to get past things and not get bogged down and stuck in places, addicted to things, then we're going to take this seriously. We've got to be honest about that. And now, I am not, I don't want to come across as like some Puritan, who, you know, Puritanical, maybe that's a better word, because I think Puritans get a bad rap sometimes, but that's another story. I will say Puritanical. I, I don't want to come across as sort of like that, you know, because I'm a person who enjoys the culture as well. And, and I, by the way, there's a, there's ultimately going to be a point to all that I'm sharing around this as well. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> but, but uh, for example, and this is going to seem like a real diversion, but just to show you that I'm not just trying to say, hey, you know, we're supposed to always live life focused, locked down, although I am challenging some of that, right? But I was, well, what I was thinking about is just in my own life, I try to do stuff. For example, on Fridays, for the last, hmm, well, it's, it's almost now, it's been like, 28, almost 28 years now, um, close to it. You know, been, been lead pastor here. And that, we all on Friday would always be our family day because usually the weekends we have ministry time. And so historically, when I was the only pastor here, that was, that was wearing all these different hats and Friday was the day and we tried to safeguard it. At the time we, we were building our family as well. We have four children. And that day was always kind of a day that was supposed to be just we tried to make it for the family, even though you're kind of like a doctor, and sometimes you just, you're on call, so you're never really totally not on duty. But having said that, we had these family days that we do on Fridays. Well, now my kids are, they're all in their 20s. They're, they're working, and one, one's finishing up school. The rest are working. And, and so, you know, Cheryl and I, our family day is now, it's the two of us, which has some interesting feel to it. It's very different than what it was. We remember when they were all in diapers, right? It was like a decade of diapers. I'm going to tell you, that was hard. <laughs> and my wife said I wasn't around, you know? I don't know. I don't believe her, actually. Uh, okay, I said all that to say this before I say this, which is Fridays are the days. So what my wife and I decided to do, we said, you know what? We have this day. It's a beautiful day. Let's go do something. Let's actually go and just kind of, let's just kind of enjoy the city and walk about. So we're gonna do it organically. We're just gonna go take, let's go take Muni, right? 
and which we'll do for time to time. But I said, we were, we went and said, and we're going to go down to Powell Market. We're just going to kind of walk around, all right? Walk around the area. And I can only tell you, I'm a, see, I was born and raised here. So I'm a city boy. But you know what? Our city, it's a trippy city. I mean, I am. I, I, I get out there, and I'm telling you, there are so many sights and sounds and yeah, smells. Oh wow! Oh man! And 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 it's like a cacophony of smells. It's oh, it's like all kind, like you're in an herb garden. You know what I mean? So it's like everywhere. You're walking around, and it is just like it's kinetic. There's a lot of life going on, and. And you remember what an amazing place it is. What it, you've, got all the, you've got the good and the bad all together, mixed together. It's, it's just active. It's interesting. We were just enjoying the time together, walking around. We spent most of the afternoon stopping here, stopping there. Just, right, you're just walking, taking it all in. Then we eventually ended up in the Yerba Buena Garden. And we just kind of hung out there for a little bit. And said, hey, let's go watch. Let's go. It was getting to be in the early evening. We said, you know what? Today's our day. Let's go. Let's go watch a movie. So we went to the Metreon right over there. And... I mean, I saw one of the, I saw an amazing movie. Now, you know, I'm not much of a movie reviewer, but that's kind of a joke, kind of based upon how I've been sharing in the past couple of months. But I'll tell you this, I saw a great film. The film that I saw, and I so enjoyed it. And uh, I know some of you are going to go, are you serious once I say what it is? <laughs> but both, we, when we went with somewhat modest expectations, we came out absolutely delighted. It was like really good entertainment, and I felt good coming out. It was The Jungle Book. Ah, oh, I know, I know. And here's the deal. Just to let you know, it is amazing. I'm telling you, it is. I was shocked. The, the graphics are stunning. It's beautiful. You will come out of there going, it's unbelievable how they did it. And it was like an experience. And oh, by the way, if you do see it, um, this time, pay the extra money for the 3D glasses, because I'm telling you, a lot of times I don't do that because I feel like it's a jip, but at this particular case, I did it, and you will not regret it. I say all that to say I'm clearly not against having a good time. I like having good times. I, like having, I, just, I just think that there are times where the Lord honestly wants us to challenge some of the stuff that's coming into our lives and wants us to focus a little bit more thoroughly on it. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and what is right in his eyes. So seek first the loving realm of Christ to be the dominant place that our life is lived. And do what is right in his eyes, his righteousness. And all these other things that we sometimes struggle with, we'll get through them. They'll all fall in the proper slot. They'll be added unto you. It's okay. We build this way. And if we don't do this, you know what's going to happen? If we, if, if, if we believe the way of Jesus but we're not living it. We're going to, we're going to have what's called a, a loss of alignment. We're not going to be congruent. When we're not congruent, we'll have internal dissonance. That is, a lot of times we will feel something is out of place inside of us because what we believe is most important may not be showing up in our lives. And if we do that long enough, it can actually really damage us. So what I'm about to talk about in the few minutes that we have here as we explore this app is actually quite relevant because I want to talk about how Jesus modeled for us how to build something that will allow us to just be, have a sustainable, vital faith that can prevail, not a disengaged from culture kind of faith, but something that is actually being healthy, healthy and, and thoughtful about what is coming in and what is going 
in, in sort of into our lives and how we are using that free time better. Let me show you an amazing passage. The, it's the first one that's in, in the handout there from Mark 1. And let's look at this together um, because Jesus gives us a clue of something. He talked about, uh, and I just say, it looks like the verse isn't saying that much. It actually is saying a lot. Because we're talking about congruency again, right? And the balance in the highly effective life and the vital, how to live a vital, fruitful life. And this is true across the board, wherever we are, socially or economically, whatever jobs we have or don't have, whatever, student. The bottom line is these principles will work for us and they'll work for us for an entire lifetime. It says that Jesus... Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, can you see three life principles? They're there. One, Jesus models early rising. First off, Jesus was, there's no way to get around it, he was an early riser. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying these are laws. I am saying, though, is that we see, in this case, he was up before sunrise, the early morning is, seems to have been a special time of opportunity. I think it is. Everything is usually a little easier, mellower, less stressful, primarily because most people are sleeping. That's especially true in an urban environment like ours, in big cities like the ones we live in, the one we live in right now, San Francisco. It, it sort of this, it sleeps too, and then it awakes. And if we're going to, oh, and I think we understand this, if we're going to be an early riser, then we're going to have to watch what time we're going to bed because the morning's victory is often won the night before. So that's just the way it is. Jesus was an early riser, and he utilized that time. But not only that, we also see that he, he has someone who is committed and it says he went out to a solitary place. That means he went out alone. So he had alone time. And that alone time was significant. Now I get it. Not all of us have that, but we can have it for a little bit of time. I'm, now what I'm trying to get at, I'm, what I'm going to hopefully make the case for is that trying to forge out intentionally having this time. We might call this devotional time, time when we're reflecting, time when we're doing what is going to be this third point, which is so clear. What did Jesus do? He prayed. He prayed, and his prayer, which, by the way, what is prayer? Prayer is communication. It's relational communication. It means when you communicate with someone who you care about, you, you share and you listen. There's a rhythm and an exchange. There's intimacy, honesty, humility in it. And when we do this, and when we're just basically talking to the Lord, listening for his voice, we're reading his words, we're, I, something I did a lot of in my last year where I was really having a harder time just sort of making my way through a certain struggle that I was kind of having and just the whole health. It's just a lot of stuff. I, I journal a lot. And you can write out your prayers sometimes. Write out your heart to God. That, you know, read a, a passage of scripture. Read through a book. Um, take time. To, for me, I wrote down the first 50 Psalms for 50 days. And I just said, you know, and I wasn't doing this as Pastor Terry. I was doing this as a follower of Jesus who just wanted to be strengthened and work through some stuff in my own heart that was trying to get encouraged around. And a lot of times you write out your prayers, you write out your complaints, you write out your fears, you write out your heart's desire, you write out your heart before the Lord, whether it's writing literally on paper, which is what I still like to do when it comes to journaling, or whether it's putting it in some type of an electronic format. Uh, I know sometimes people will even put pictures into theirs as well, but it's keeping some type of a, of an, of, of a way of exchanging our heart with God before the heat of the day is going on. 
we have some time to do what Jesus taught us. Now, here's the deal. Some people say, well, yeah, I don't have enough time. Look, you know, Jesus, look, think about this for a moment. One, one of the things, as I'm looking at this piece here, I look at it and I go, I mean, I, you know, what's fascinating is that if there was anyone on earth, because Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, yes, he was fully human being. Tempted, the Bible says at all points, as we are vulnerable at some level, but yet without sin. That is, there was nothing in him that wasn't aligned. Having said that, I mean, Jesus, if anybody didn't need to do this, is Jesus. But he did. So what does that tell us? Because I'm a whole lot, way lot more flawed and in need than Jesus, by far. And that means this, if it was good for Jesus and a practice that he implemented, how much more is it something that you and I should be doing? You see what I'm saying? Now, when he did this, he seemed to have done it for three reasons at least. This is not comprehensive, but it's something I just want us to think about because it might help us when we do it. Number one, it was a time for him of communication, right? When he has a place of essential communication, it was a place where he engaged his father. You'll hear him. You read the scripture, the gospels. It's talking about it. My father, right? There's exchange. He's hearing. He's, he's, he's engaged with the father. You know, not just, but it was not just a time of essential communication. It was a time also, and this is important for us. This next one, you know why? Because it's a time that, this is something I think a lot of us can struggle with as well. I'm not saying Jesus struggled with it. I'm just saying it solidified something for him, which is for us often a struggle. It was a time for him to identify, really, to affirm his identity. To affirm his identity. And we get him. We have a culture that we live in where a lot of us struggle with our identity, we do. And I'm not saying it's just because of our culture, but I'm saying our culture does exasperate it because we're constantly getting bombarded with messages and images of what you know, certain successful people look like, beautiful people look like. You know, this is what we're supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to earn. This is how life's supposed to be. It's constantly, nonstop. So much noise hitting us. We don't even realize it. It's sometimes, by the way, it's like this, like me. Sometimes it's not till I actually go into the wilderness. And a lot of times I'll go deep into the wilderness, backpacking. And I'm disconnected from everything. A, a person like, who has been in the city like I have, it, it's sort of like a fast. I have no access to anything. I don't know what's going on in the world. I am in control of, no, I don't need my own family, nothing. The church, nothing. I'm in control of nothing. It reminds me, I am in control of nothing. But one of the things I've realized getting away like I do sometimes is how much noise I'm accustomed to. Like I'm just accustomed to it because I live in the city. That's my world. And I'm constantly hearing, hearing sounds. And so I just live that way. And when you're disconnected from it, you go, oh my goodness. And when you come back in, you go, wow. So, here's the thing. That's the th we, we are constantly getting bombarded with things that tell us who we are, who we aren't. And a lot of us struggle here. And it was a place where Jesus would hear this phrase more than once. You are my beloved son. And I am pleased with you. And I'm going to say that that time for us is an important time to ground our identity. We're always being told to fix our identity on basis of things. It could be political, social definitions. It could be, you know, based upon sexual identity. All the, all, everybody's trying to get us to, to find our identity 
But the place that Jesus said we are to find it is with God as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. And when we ground ourselves there, we're less vulnerable to being driven and to being, to being really honestly disturbed. We, we can gain strength because we see ourselves as one loved by God. And therefore, I want to respond to you, Lord, as one loved. And so I want to, I want to live a life then that pleases you in response to the love that I am being given that I could never earn back, but I want to honor you back with what my life can be because I've been given so much. You see? Our identity. Thirdly, what is it? it was a place where he could also what? He could really clarify his daily, his mission and his daily, his daily focus. So that, that's another thing that we can do with this time. And I'm, I'm really trying to make the case that, hey, come on. Let's put that in the, into our life and use that as, a, as a, like a core value for us because it allows us to think about our day. It allows us to think about where we're heading. It allows us to think about just praying. Sometimes we just touch it. We just remind ourselves of who we are, who are what the operating base is that, that we have, our core values, what they are. We're just sitting right there. Okay, I say that. Now, what I want to do, because again, what we can see here is that Jesus, Jesus models this idea of congruency. And so, and that's going to be so important because when things hit us in life, the stronger our core, the more capable we are of juggling things and not getting destroyed by them or damaged by them. Two examples. I'm going to just go give us real quickly from the life of Jesus so you can implement the principles. First one occurs, and it's in the handout there. You can see it in John 2. And this is a great, this is a great uh, little piece. It's commonly seen as the first real movement in Jesus' ministry, public ministry. It's an incident, and you, again, it's in the handout right there. Um, it's an incident where his mother Mary comes to him with this somewhat audacious request, right? Asking him to do something about an unfortunate development. Evidently, the host of the wedding, where they were attending, had run out of wine for their guests. And in that day, that would have been considered an especially embarrassing development, a blunder, a blunder that could give a family in their day a reputation for being cheap for a long time that they would never get past. It's like, oh, I remember that. You, that was their wedding? Yeah. Where you guys didn't, yeah, I remember that. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. That's the cheap family. That was the cheap family over there. That was the, now, having said, so here's what Mary evidently was friends with them. And was concerned. Look what happens. John, John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And when the mother of Jesus was there, Jesus also invited, was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So he's starting his ministry. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine left. Now, initially you would think, oh, she's just making a statement. But the reason she came to Jesus was because she was basically saying, um, I need your help. And they're in trouble and I care about them, can you do something? No, actually, I know you can, because I know you have power to do it, actually. And look what Jesus says to her. And he uses this word. Initially, we were taken back by it. He says, woman. And he doesn't mean that in a disrespectful way, but he's trying to emphasize. Look what he says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? This is not my, there's this, my hour. He's operating off of a divine sense of timing. He knows who he is, where he's going, what he's doing. My hour has not yet come. What is he talking about? His hour has not yet come. What does that mean? Because it's going to come up. By the way, you read this, John, you'll see it all over the place. What is he saying? What is he getting at? My, 
He's talking about how he's clarifying. He knows where he is in, in what he's doing. The hour always speaks of this time of his ministry that will culminate in the cross and in the resurrection. He goes, my hour is not, this is a, the time of my unveiling in my public. This, this is, look, th- you're asking me, you're wanting to push me into something in my time. It's not the right time. And I love, he goes, I, <laughs> he says, you know, what's this mind? It says nothing to do with me. And I love the answer. Mary says, uh-huh. Well, to the servants, whatever he says, you just do that, okay? Whatever he says, just do it. I love that. And, she, and he ends up doing his first miracle. It becomes this amazing moment. And, and, it all, and again, what it illustrates to me is that when we, have, we can, what was it? when we have a sense of what God wants us to do and be, when we've established that in our life, when our identity is in him and we, we are seeking a timing and a way of living that is in alignment with what he wants, it gives us the capacity to say no to things because we have a bigger yes. And it can even be sometimes the people who love us. Now, in Jesus' case, he must, have ultimately, he must have ultimately felt that it was within the context of the Father's will because he actually accommodated Mary's request. But that's something, that's something for us to note. The second incident occurs, it's almost like a like a bookend. The first, or that first incident occurs at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The next one that we're going to look at here is at the back end. Three years later, jump forward. Now we're right at the end of his, of his life, and he's, he knows what's coming. He's, in John 13 and through 17, there's this moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's very intimate. He's telling them, this is it. This is the moment. This is my hour. Now my hour has come. It's about to happen. Um, he, he's basically letting them know that things are about to unravel pretty badly. You want to talk about being hit with a surprise. This is a devastating thing that's about to hit us. And honestly, Jesus is saying, you'll never understand what I'm about to walk through. I don't expect you to. Uh, the, it's not just physical. This is something that is at a spiritual level, so deep, so intense, so dark, so, so filled with levels of, of interaction that I, I would never expect you to understand. But one thing I do know that for you, what about, is about to happen is going to be like a spiritual tsunami and it's just going to overwhelm you. And I can see it. And, I'm, and I look at that and I remember what John 13, 1 says. This is before the feast of the Passover. Look at that again. When Jesus, there it is, that sense of timing. When Jesus knew he was on schedule. There was a sense that he always was on schedule. When that hour had come to depart out of this world, right, to the Father. Look at that phrase. I love that end phrase. Having loved them, he loved them to the end. That's what love does. It shows up. I look at Jesus under such duress, under such intense um, weight that is being foisted upon him. He's literally about to do, the hour is at hand. He's there. Uh, He's feeling it. You can see, and in the one, one that, in John 17 is in the handout here. You can see that he's basically saying again, Father, the hour has come. There it is. Glorify your son, your son, that your son also may glorify you. And then jumping to verse four, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. The, the amazing thing to me when you combine 13.1 and John 17, which we just looked at, is Jesus is not only cognizant of what's about to happen. He's cognizant that the hour is now here. The moment that I, I was born for and and must choose to enter in, in which I will become scandalized, 
That moment is now. It is happening. And Father, I have done what you have asked me to do. And I have done it even now to the end. Now I ask you to help me glorify you. Even, if I, even as I have glorified you to this point, I ask you, Father, to glorify yourself through me now. And then combine that with the fact that he then turns to his disciples, as we looked at earlier, and it says that having loved them, he loved them to the end. He, the, the way Jesus models, see, his core was so strong because he, you, you saw it, you read about it. We, we read it together. That when the pressure was on and everything in him was about to hit, he was not only able to persevere, but he was also to be astonishingly empathetic and compassionate and caring towards those that were closest to him, even while he was bearing all the weight. Now, what a model that is for us. It's a great model. I hope we understand it. It's because what we're being, t- being shown here is that how, how we are able to sustain ourselves, yet alone, not just even persevering, but how can we in these places in our lives when we're being hit, I mean, we, are, well, I mean, our, we're, we can feel ourselves buckling. I mean, you can feel the pressure. Parts of us wants to run. Part of us wants to cave. Part of us feels like we are. We're being shaken at a core. The heat is on. We can feel it. It's like our hair is burning. We can feel it. It's so intense. And in that place, to be able to have the grace not only to say, Lord, Father, I'm going to finish the work that you've given me. That's one thing. But to be able to take it to the level of saying, this is not about me right now. I'm looking at all of you. It's like, that's like high, high level. And the point is, is that it has to do with our capacity, honestly. What we build into the ritual and the dailiness of our life is what ultimately shows up when the heat is on and we absolutely need it. It's like that daily practice, that, that way of being, it over t- it as, because you know why? We fall back into what we've established. And if we have established a core, then what we will fall into when the heat is on, we'll fall back into that place and we will hold. God will give us the power and the grace and his spirit. He will get us through it. But it is connected to the choices that we make, honestly, in the daily times when we're not in a crisis, that establishment of that pattern of health at a spiritual level shows up when the heat is on. And in his case, allowed him to be not only capable of enduring the cross, but to be able to take care of all of them, even while he was the one that was bearing all the weight. Stunning. It's a great inspiration for us. You see what I'm saying? Speaking of C, my, my partner in this project, this Life, Life App project, Rusty, is going to share very quickly, briefly, an acronym built around the word C, S-E-E. And he's going to try to tag on to what I've just shared with you. So just let's listen to that together. After we do that, we'll have a quick time of giving and then a closing song. But I wanted him to sort of accent what we've just talked about. Here we go. Pastor Terry just taught us that in order for us to juggle life's responsibilities and surprises, that it's important that we value our time within the model and the example of Jesus and how Jesus stayed on schedule with his life aligned through every hour. Never before in history have we been better prepared to manage and even avoid surprises that can make our lives more challenging than today. Technology is allowing us to see around the corner and to minimize the surprises of life. 
Real-time predictive data can, if we're open to it, send us many early warning notifications that will keep us from trouble. But we can't keep ignoring the notifications and we have to be open and accepting of this information and then go use it. So if trying to see ahead or see around the corner is one side of the coin, then being able to react in alignment within Jesus's teaching is the other side of the coin. And we should have a life app for this. So let's call this the C app. The S, it stands for strategy. We need to have a strategy for the intersections of life. Do we move forward? Do we stop? Or do we feel danger and we just need to get out of the way as fast as we can? We always need to have a strategy. And we're so fortunate. We're fortunate to have the world's best strategy document that God has given us in the Bible. And when we're in church, we're given many times strategic life direction and teaching that we can apply to our own situations. Secondly, we must evaluate the situation. What's true about life is this, is that we need to be able to evaluate and make decisions while we are in motion. As we can't always just stop prematurely if others are expecting us to move forward. Solomon tells us in Proverbs that we make better decisions when we have our advisors around us. Our small group members and others close to us can help us evaluate. Thirdly, we need to be ready to execute. Just do it is what Nike says. But if we just do it without a strategy and without a thorough evaluation, then we might do stupid things. But if we have that well-developed strategy, and we have evaluated our situation fully, then being able to make a decision and execute is what can make the difference between us and others. You see, our faith and our trust in the promise of God that He will never ever give us more than we can handle can give us the courage to execute. Now, while we can never fully anticipate what the unforeseen or what the known will be in the future, we can still take the time now before the situation shows up to develop a strategy to cope with the intersections and surprises of life and to be ready so then we can then juggle all of those things in front of us. So today, today would be a great one to ask God to help us establish a strategy, evaluate appropriately and quickly a situation and then execute successfully or to say it another way, to use our life app to see.